Hello, and welcome to an episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today, I'm with, you know, we were such a rush this morning, I forgot to ask how to say your last name, Justin. So, Justin Shepertiki, is that right? You know, that's pretty good. I'm I'm rather impressed. It's uh, Shepertiki. Shepertiki. Uh, and Michael Dryden, uh, hopefully, I think I got that one right. These uh, two gentlemen over here are creators of a framework called Empire, which is, I think you said, heavily inspired by MVVM, right? Yeah, it started kind of as an MVVM approach to state management and it kind of evolved into something not exactly like MVVM anymore, but um, that's where its roots are, I guess. Yeah, why, why don't we kind of like go back to your history, right? It's always good to hear about somebody's history to figure out where it came from. I think you guys mentioned that you were, at least Justin was working on uh, Windows platform before, right? Yeah, I think I've been on a lot of platforms. <laughs> I think Mike and I have been kind of all over the map here. But yeah, we've done Windows, Windows development, uh, you know, native mobile development. We've done web apps, kind of you name it. Um, Mike and I, you know, both kind of come from similar backgrounds, at least over the last, you know, four, four or five years. Um, we've had the opportunity to work in a bunch of different technologies. So yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, I started out my career as a .NET developer, and then uh, when I joined the company that uh, Justin and I previously both worked for, um, kind of dived into more mobile development and some cloud-related stuff, uh, branched out on things, and uh, then I, I followed him to another job. So we work together at a different company now, and uh, uh, we're using Flutter as as one of our primary projects there. Now, coming from Windows platform why not look at xamarin or something else that's using a c-sharp we did you know at a, at a previous company we we did use xamarin uh for one of our major mobile applications and in all honesty it was it was fine it was a functioning app um we we delivered something that we needed to to the client and and it was fine um you know when when flutter ended up coming on the scene it was kind of like hey guys let's 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 take a look at this this new thing here uh we've always you know at the time we we're interested in cross-platform support. We didn't know, we didn't want to build apps for Android and a separate app for for iOS, right? So it was it was intriguing to us and that's kind of what led us there. And I don't think anybody was particularly enamored with uh, with the development experience with Xamarin back then. Uh, it was a bit awkward, especially the deployment stuff. Um, so we never got to, we, we actually were only using Xamarin for, uh, I don't think we were using it on Android, were we? It was just iOS. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So we never even really took advantage of it. I don't think it had auto reload back then. Maybe not. Reload. <laughs> it was a long time. We're a bit old. Yeah, I remember developing locally uh, for iOS, and like I'd click the play button, it'd come up. Just before it would come up, like done compiling, I was like, "Oh crap, I forgot this," and then I have to click stop and then go back. This super annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Actually, no. Xamarin actually had uh, hot code reload. I think nearly all of them have it. I think even iOS may have it by now. No. With Swift Swift UI, yeah, I think Swift UI would. I know Xamarin does for sure by now. Uh, although I mean, it's been years since I touched it, but yeah, I, I imagine they all do. Yeah. So when you guys went to this company, so so the first job together was that where you guys started working on Flutter for the first time? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Justin was was the one that led us led the way for us there. He was kind of tasked to put together a proof of concept of an app that could replace our native Android app and our Swift app and our Xamarin app. We had three apps on the go in three different frameworks. And so we thought maybe we could all build it under one Flutter app. And that, that did eventually happen, actually. Um, I think we retired all but one of those of those apps. 
I mean, we're right of Flutter getting underneath your radar then if you've been in, you know, Microsoft land, as they call it, and yet existing Xamarin app, right? Is it fair to say that our bot didn't like Microsoft very much? <laughs> it's not uncommon. That's that's my usual <laughs> reply. We, we worked in .NET, but it was, it was reluctantly to a certain extent, I suppose. We were we were pretty heavily invested in in the Google ecosystem as well for pretty much everything else. So, uh, you know, having Flutter land on our radar was 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 bound to happen at some point. So, yeah, but was there ever concern? I mean, the Microsoft products are necessarily the best. They're kind of somewhat stable, I think. Google, I think there's even now people are still talking like, hey, maybe Flutter someday will be killed because it's Google. Was it ever like on your radar? Like mm, maybe we got to be careful about this. Yeah. It was uh, like we we actually had that exact conversation multiple times. Um, like you said, uh, Google has a history of saying, you know, this this isn't too the, the numbers aren't what we want. Yeah, we're just going to we're just going to kill it. I think what kind of at least for me, you know, made me feel a little bit more comfortable on the flutter side is because I, I people a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the language behind it, Dart has been around for ages. Right. It's been around since before Flutter was even popular. It's been used internally at Dart for a really long or at, at Google for a really long time. Um, so this wasn't, to, at least to me, this this kind of fleeting thing, because, you know, I you know, could have been wrong, but I had no expectation that, you know, hey, Dart was going to go away. Flutter was going to go away. I, I think it was pretty heavily invested in. So, I mean, for me, like Dart was always like, why the heck do we have this language? And it just compiled down to JavaScript when I heard about it. So I was like, why don't we just write? JavaScript and actually, I think I don't even remember when the heck that was, but I was a big fan of CoffeeScript. And then when CoffeeScript kind of went away, we had ES6, and I was just like, "All right, why?" Do, you know, I, I learned my lesson from CoffeeScript. No longer am I writing in something that's not JavaScript if it's going to compile the JavaScript. So Dart was just like, "What is the point of this language? Why is this language?" Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think I think the appeal was was greater than the risk for us at that point um you know we had a client that was willing to front foot the bill on it and and uh, so we we dove in there was a lot of value actually the the switch over to flutter was a was a very valuable one i think for that application it, it standardized a lot of our development process and the transition over you know to flutter i guess it's more of a dart thing was was trivial you know being in most of the stuff we were writing up until that point was a lot of c sharp um, and, you know, you can definitely tell the similarities, at least in terms of syntax, right? Between C-sharp and Dart, the transition was 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 fairly easy. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Because I don't know about you guys, like to me, it's Dart is so similar to like a mix of JavaScript and Java. If that even makes sense. Does it? Yeah. Usually people actually get confused between those two just based on the name. But now they get confused when you look at Dart, right? It's just so similar. Yeah. You guys put it on your machine to check it out, right? You You turn it on like were you blown away or just like, oh, okay, maybe this is good. Or, you know, what was kind of the, the thought when you started playing with it? I I had done, um, you know, a, a fair, I, I don't want to say a lot, but enough development, um, native Android development um, before using Flutter. And let me tell you, it was not my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> it was, um, you know, dealing the native Android, the native Android. Yeah. Doing native Android stuff. It was uh, to me, it was painful. It was painful. Uh, you know, I was writing something in Kotlin, which Kotlin itself, um, I actually don't mind. Um, but the whole, the the XML-based UIs doing, dealing with activities and stuff in Android, like I, I couldn't stand it. I, I was not having a great time. Uh, so for me, switching over to Flutter 
um, and booting up my first app and, and, and having things, you know, doing that declarative type UI uh, in code to me was just, a, it was, it was a godsend. It was, it was one of the kind of like eureka aha moments for me when I started using, it. I was like, this is what I need. This is what I need to use. This is what I need to get good at. The really, to me, hasn't been a technology that I, you know, have really got behind uh, like I have with Flutter. I mean, you know, Michael attests to my obsession with it. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's had a major impact um, on the direction of my career and what I've learned over the last few years, for sure. And Michael, did you, what, what was your kind of feedback when you seen it? I mean, it sounds like you don't write a lot of Flutter yourself. Well, I do. I he Justin's the one that usually kind of spins up the projects. Um, I contribute more on the Flutter projects. I contribute more as as just a, a an extra body. Oh come on! I'm comfortable in it, but spinning up a brand new project isn't something that I've had to do yet. Um, I I do not share Justin's love of the declarative UI. Uh, I uh, grew up learning you know i know i know html and javascript and css really well and uh so you know he and i have a kind of a running back and forth with uh where we see the value of flutter and and for me flutter web doesn't fit in into the pattern i think it's great as a multi multi-platform cross-platform you know mobile development alternative to electron uh, personally, I wouldn't choose it over over something else on a web application, especially because I think that the I think that the the UI tends to not be compatible very well between them, right? Like if you build a Windows app, it's fine as a Linux app. If you build a an Android app, it's fine as an iOS app. But web apps need to be responsive, and and it's just kind of a different thing. I can't even really picture what a cross-platform web and something else application would look like. But, you know, I'd be happy to be be corrected on that. But uh, but my take is that I just I just don't see it right now, personally, even though I work in it every day. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair criticism, right? I mean, there has to be some kind of, they also have that expression, no silver bullet, right? There's no way Flutter can be great for everything. We talked a little bit before the show, right? Mm -hmm. Like I like to bring on people from other technologies too once in a while and just talk about, okay, what's why do you like your stuff and what's good about it? What's not good? I think the only framework that I'm really not interested in is uh, KVVM. Or is it called KVVM? That one, I, I don't know that one. I think it's called KVVM. I might get the acronym wrong, but it's basically uh, Kotlin, or K, KMMV maybe, KMV. Kotlin Multi-Platform. Yeah. Have you heard of that one before? Yeah, yeah. The acronym didn't ring a bell, but yeah, I know. Probably because I got the acronym wrong, I think. But, uh, <laughs> It, I like the idea of it, like that you can write Kotlin for both and you can compile it to native code. Like, okay, sounds like a copy on kind of Dart where you can compile native. But anyways, I'm sure there's other things that do it. But but it, um, the other thing too is um, the thing that I don't get is like the whole thing is about the UI. The UI is the most, to me, it takes the longest time to do. And that's the one thing that they don't focus on that I understand from from. I think it's called KVVM or KM, whatever, from the Kotlin multi-platform, right? Is that you have to still build everyone separately in your own native toolkit, which I think is insane. Yeah. I think the Kotlin community is, is also, they've grown a ton uh, over the last few years. So, I mean, there's some, there's some pretty serious Kotlin fanboys out there. So I think, you know, them building like, um, you know, JetBrains building on, on that and, 
you know, something for that community is probably in their best interest as a, as a business. Right. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I find it interesting, but I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I said, because the UI is the biggest one, right? I mean, that's the way I could see it. I mean, worst cases you can write C and you can compile, you know, you could do it in other things. I don't understand why I got to do it in Kotlin, but I guess Kotlin's probably better than C and some other ones. Yeah. Kotlin's kind of a nifty language is my, my limited experience with it. It's, it's got a lot of neat features that other languages don't, but uh, no, it's built on Java, so it's got a shaky foundation. <laughs> well, I, well, the best part about that is if you, most people come from Android backgrounds, they're going to be getting into this kind of stuff, right? So it just makes more sense to get into Kotlin and do it like that. And I think Kotlin is very similar with how Dart became now with like the no safety, like they have that, and same with Swift. Like everybody's going in that direction these days. Yeah. That was actually probably my, one of my favorite things working with Kotlin because uh, was was the null safety. Actually, their their kind of functional type stuff was was interesting too. Uh, I actually really enjoy Kotlin as a language. I do. I you know we tried to use it at a project recently at our at our company, um, and I think Mike wanted to drop kick me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was such a small project; it didn't make sense to be trying to learn on the spot. So we just we got it done and moved on. But uh... It was it was interesting, and I would revisit it. He didn't try to whip out some closure instead, because that's like the the other big one running JVM. Yeah, let's do it. And then if you're going to be pulling in closure, you might as well pull in Datomic at this point, because they go one and the same always. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm always kind of interested to pick up to pick up um, the closure. I heard so many good things about closure, like, but once I see those parentheses, I just like my eyes go nuts, and I'm like, how the heck do I read this thing? Like, I know when you start <laughs> getting into it, you can read it, yeah. but initially, it's like. And I heard that you have to learn Emacs if you want to write closure in, in Lisp because it's like it's just the editor for it. Yeah, I'm out. Although I had that same feeling the first time I looked at Go. When I looked at that syntax, I'm like, what is this? I still have that feeling when I look at Go. Yeah, it's not that's not awful. I, I'm always surprised at, at uh, how much Go just gets out of the way, but it still looks really ugly to me. <laughs> uh, Go, yeah. Uh, the, the only thing about Go that drives me nuts is like... Um, when I was doing web apps with Go, like you always have to go from byte away to string, string to byte away. Just in one function call, you just keep flipping back and forth. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Just choose one. I don't care which one. And then convert it to the last moment. This is nuts. <laughs> it makes you very aware of what you're doing. Oh, yeah. I, I wear them flopping between the two, even though they're about the same from what I understand. So I'm like, this is nuts. But the, the, the cool part I like about Go is the multi-platform like the multi uh, compilation where you can be on Mac and you can produce binaries for whatever you want. That's the coolest part about Go, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As somebody who kind of leads leads a team or has led teams before, I think what intrigues me about Go is how strict it is. Like you, you can be pretty confident that when you ask somebody to write something in Go, it's going to come out a specific way because there's kind of just like one way to do stuff. The formatter is strict you know compile unused variables or compile errors and those kinds of things like it it really forces you to write clean code and if you're on a team of people i i can definitely see the appeal of that um i again it's it's not the the language that i reach for first but it it's an interesting tool to to have um i do i do enjoy working in it a little bit for me there's two ways to write go one is where you check the errors and the other one is that you don't check the errors and you just keep going <laughs> two ways i know to write go <laughs> You really have to work on the error handling, that's for sure. Yeah, that's why I like what Rust does a little bit more, where it's like that you actually have to deal with it all the time. 
uh, go. It's like, I don't know, you, you see a lot of these like single examples and you know that it's not going to fail, but someday it may fail and then you'd have no idea what's going on, I think. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about Rust? It's on it's on my bucket list for the next 12 months. Like, what's, what's your take on it? I'm curious. Yeah, so uh, I did use it in production once. It was uh, really fun. So I was processing like, I think I talked about this many times on here, but I, I was processing like, um, I don't know, like a couple thousand XML files and I was creating PHP files, which is really weird, but that's, that's the project. Okay. Uh, I did everything in Elixir. And so the reason I did this is because I could just process every single one concurrently, right? Yeah. Because sometimes you're waiting for something to download. So you just hand it off to, you know, native thread. So it just made more sense to do it that way. And then, um, but the... The processing of the files was difficult because I had to use XPath to get into, pull out certain things from his XML files because they're giant, right? These are coming from like an ERP system for yeah. a multi, for an MMC. And it took like 10 or 20 minutes to do. And I switched to Rust for all the processing. And it took like 10 seconds. Wow. So it was really uh, very nice and wow. so super efficient, obviously. And uh, I didn't really have any errors, right? Because they it forces you to, to declare errors, or sorry, to, to, to handle all the errors, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that was a little bit shocking was like, I, you know, it just like, I think Go will also warn you, right? If you don't handle errors and stuff, unless you like to use like an underscore, I think. Yeah. So yeah. they would they'd give you these things initially, but then they also have something called Clippy, which is like a linter. And so everything was running fine. And I'm like, well, let's just run Clippy. I just heard about Clippy because I'm still learning Rust at the time. And I ran Clippy and there were so many of these like warnings. I was like, Jesus, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little bit surprised, right? Um, but after going through it and then like all the stuff that they gave me, like it's it's a super helpful language. Like I think there's nearly all positives. It's like super helpful. Like whenever there's an error, they give you like an error code that you can Google on along with a, with a, with an, exp with a, um, Def, no, I'm going to say, is it definition? Explanation in just plain, simple English. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it should give you links too. Clippy is super awesome to to check out. Uh, it's basically around as fast as C, you know, after a while, you how fast you really need unless you're making games or something really ridiculous. And they force you to handle all the stuff with these union types. And I think it's just like all positives. The only thing that's negative is just, yeah, it's a totally different language right and uh they do have multi-platform support but it's not as robust as goes is that one is just uh amazing um and i think a big plus is like we, everybody i think has a respect for uh linus right and if the fact that this is the only language besides c that he's willing to consider yeah i think that has some weight to it right and even i don't know enough about why he said that and why he thinks that I saw today that that uh, there's going to be Rust code in the the next Linux kernel. I or saw that too, or something like that. Only so. for drivers, though, and that's that's fine, right? I don't think you should rewrite everything in Rust. Like, there's some people who do say that it'd be fun, but it'll take you a long time because there's a lot of stuff in there. I think that's the thing that I've been that's kind of been holding me back from really diving into Rust is I haven't, you know, at least you know th um, during the day at my day job, found a real reason to use to choose Rust. Like I, I understand the pros, um, you know, the pros of it, but I, I guess there really hasn't for me been a use case. Like you just explained in your example about having to do this high, high level of processing on large files, but just haven't come across it. So I'm glad that I'm glad that was your example because that kind of reinforces to me that I haven't just ignored it. <laughs> I just really haven't found yeah. the use case for it yet. Yeah. Like, uh, I've had a couple of people ask me like to do stuff in Rust and like, what's your experience? I'm like, well, production experience, I just have one thing. And this was the use case. It wasn't 100% Rust, but, you know, I used it 
where I thought it could be used. And I actually was freaking out too, because I was still kind of learning Rust. And so it's a huge risk on my part. The project was obviously a big risk. It wasn't, you know, I, and, and I actually did a significant amount of benchmarking to make sure I was in the right place. And I was like, this is like, you know, hundred X or something, whatever it was. Yeah. I was like, this is makes sense. And I, even after I put it in production, I was like freaking out. Like, cause again, this is like totally new technology. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> cause it's one thing to try it locally. Another thing, you know, to have it running and, you know, somebody else's machine and they're an MNC, right? So if it goes down, you know, you're going to be up on Twitter the next day. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It was like processing pages for, for the website. So they wanted to, they put all the products into this uh, ERP and they wanted to generate web pages for it. But they, you know, that takes like a couple of years for them to do it automatically on their side. So they need something interim. So they asked me to help them out with that. And yeah, so that's the scary part, you know, and uh, good thing they had a staging environment that we could check it out on and went into production. It was the only thing that freaked them out is like the CPU uses was like going nuts for like, you know, 10 seconds and went back down. So their IT guys are like, oh, dude, did we just get hacked or somebody just crypto mined us or something? What happened? <laughs> because have you guys heard of Elixir before? I know we talk about quite a few times. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it just uses up all your cores and it uses it as much as it can, right? To get everything done. And so it just like, you know, 400% because every single core and it went back down and the guys were just like, what's going on? <laughs> and they were freaking out. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, trust me, because actually I had to, I had to actually has I also had to went up to like four gigs of RAM too. And then when I did that with Russ, I think it went down to like 20 or 40 megabytes of RAM. So it's a huge difference, right? Because you're not holding on to all this waiting for the garbage collector to let go. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, but going, I mean, we, I love to talk about languages you can see, but I think we got to get back to the main topic, right? So, so you're working around with Flutter. What was your guys' like first kind of state management solution? I guess probably the first one's probably just a stateful widget, right? I don't think we stayed with Stateful Widget very long, Justin. I think your perfect concept immediately over turned up that like we can't use this for a big app. It's there's no way. We talked at length this afternoon to about what we should say in this podcast, and we were like, should we name names? What if what if like I don't want to we don't want to make anybody feel like we hated this because and that's why we created Empire or anything. But um, yeah, the the first the first one I think when we have the most experience with is Block. And it did a lot for us, that app. It did it did a lot of heavy lifting in that in that app for us. Um far as I know, we've left the company, as far as we know, it's still in use there as well. So um yeah, block block is what we used at first. And, and to be fair, that's what we've been using until Empire, until a couple of months ago. Yeah, was was block. Uh you know, I've I've ha I haven't dabbled a whole I, I know there's like forty five at least other you know state management uh solutions out there but um i i will say block got us to i would say where we are um and it was it was fantastic we just found that um you know as we were working on our most recent project that we we had some things that that we didn't particularly like about our code base um you know which led us down this path of you know how how can how can we solve this like you know what 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 can we do uh to help solution our internal issue and that's kind of where we started with with empire so what what was your problem with block because to me block works pretty well the other thing that's annoying is like when you want to use the same block across like another screen you have to move that state up and that's the problem of provider because i use flutter block at least i'm guessing you guys probably use the same thing right i think i think we found it was as a combination of a boilerplate yep. you yep. know you, you spin up a new view you need 
you need your list of states, you need your block, you need your view. Um, and then at, well, and your events, you need your events too. And also the application level state we found kind of difficult to work with. Um, yeah, who knows, maybe we were doing it wrong, but uh, you know, there were, it seems like at times we were tripping over, you know, there's a user that's logged in and it's right at the top level of the app and he needs to be accessible to all of the different screens throughout the app. And you're, you're always trying to go and, you know, get the, get that context, get that block provider up. And, um, you know, we just kind of felt, started to feel like it was a bit of a, a burden when we wanted to add to the application or refactor the application. We, we started looking at other options and decided on our own. So which options did you take a look at and how come they were not a good fit? I'm guessing RiverPod was probably an option, right? Because that's always high up on everybody's list. Yeah, River, RiverPod for sure. Like I um, I haven't used, actually used RiverPod in any of our, in, a, in our production apps. We have dove into it and it looks, it looks great. It does. I, I think Empire for us really started as, um, I think a little bit of a learning opportunity for us as well to, um, you know, to kind of see, you know, what could, what, what, what could we do? What, what do we really like about all these different little things and how can we make a really focused package that solves the, really the exact problem that, that we have. Um, and that problem was, um, a velocity speed of being able to quickly add, uh, you know, new views, new managing new states and all that kind of stuff. Like it was like Mike already alluded to was, um, you know, as, as I'm writing an app, honestly, I don't want to have to worry about state. I, I don't want to have to worry about, I, I need this, um, you know, particular thing in my widget tree to be able to, um, to be able to react to state. Um, I don't, I don't want to have to worry about any of that stuff. I want to, I want to have some, some properties that I have with some data that I care about. And I want it to change and I want my UI to just change for me. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to do anything particularly special for that. I think that a lot of the packages and I could be speaking out of turn here because I certainly did not investigate all of the packages, but uh, I think a lot of them take a kind of a state machine type approach to state, right? Like they've got, you've got your predefined set of states that your application can be in and there are, are transitions between those states and that didn't feel like a fit for what we wanted, how we wanted to work or what we, what we were after in our applications. Uh, and so, you know, after kind of skimming through the, the high level items, nothing really grabbed us. And we said, well, let's see what we can do. And, and I think part of us thought it might not go past a little bit of dabbling. And then it turned out it was like, Hey, actually this works pretty good. So we refined it a little bit from there. I mean, how do you even architect something like this? Because I think the big question is, how do you even start to build this? Because to me, these things are all magic. <laughs> I know, obviously, they're not really magic. If you start, I'm guessing maybe the first thing you did was start opening up packages and seeing how the heck they work. And then you start to figure out what are the basic building blocks to make a state management, right? Yeah, like I've, I've over the years, I've, I've definitely dove into, uh, you know, Block uh, and, its, and its source code. And I mean... Honestly, what those guys have done is it's magic. Uh, you know, they, Block definitely does a you know a lot more than Empire does. Um, Way more, right? And our goal is not to really, honestly, our goal is not to say, hey, like we're going to, we want to be the replacement for all state management stuff. That's that's not our that's not our goal at all. Um, but you know, how we got started, yeah, just digging into some code. I, I kind of had a you know a fairly good idea how 
on these works. I've I've dug into Flutter, um, lots of Flutter source code, <laughs> and uh, so I mean it wasn't coming. It wasn't kind of you know going in blind. I had an idea of what um, what I wanted to, what it to look like from a code architectural level. Yeah, it kind of started with a conversation where I where I think I kind of said, "How come it's always so hard?" <laughs> <laughs> and and keep in mind I'm not the expert I you know Justin is very strong in flutter and I am an intermediate maybe in flutter and so you know for me the the level of of bringing things in was was challenging and I've worked in lots of different frameworks um you know web frameworks uh application frameworks and I have kind of consistently complained since the start that state management in Flutter is harder than it should be. And uh, maybe that's unfair. Maybe I'm just slow. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's always felt a bit more challenging. And, you know, I was also somebody who was responsible for junior developers and bringing them in. And uh, I felt like there was a steep learning curve for a lot of them as well to to understand, you know, all the parts that move in a, in a Flutter app. And... Uh, so we kind of started this brainstorm session of like, in a perfect world, what would it be like to work with the properties? You know, could we make just properties that just were reactive? Like when you change them, they just change, you know? If you have any experience with original like AngularJS or Vue or something like that, where it's just like, it feels like magic, you change a property and it changes on the screen and it's, it's like, could we do that? And, and then Justin figured out how to do that, so. That was, it was, you know, kind of went from there. Then we worked on the patterns to try and improve the developer experience from there. Isn't Redux very similar to this style, though? Well, so Redux is kind of based off of React state, state pattern, right? Um, so it wouldn't surprise me. I can't say that we looked deeply into Redux. Um, my strongest uh, application framework is Vue. And so Vuex, which I think is based off of Redux, is... Uh, Vuex is it was kind of the inspiration from my perspective of like I'd like this to be act to act similar to 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 how that stuff works. So maybe we need to look deeper at, Re at Redux, see if there's items we need to borrow, or if we just uh, you know cribbed it off and then by accident. Because I could have sworn that like Redux has got something similar where it's like you just change a property and everything that's listening to it will just. Change. I mean, that's this value notifier, I believe, right? Or change notifier. Yeah, change, change notifier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is like there's not, and, and like to Mike's point, like like I said, there's you know forty. We we never claimed that we that we didn't um, you know possibly reinvent the wheel because is because maybe we did. Like I mentioned earlier as well, like we we built something that worked for us um, internally. Um, again, we kind of treated this at first as kind of hey, this is a cool learning experience and. Um, you know, it really helped us, I think, understand what some of these other libraries are doing underneath the hood. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, our expectation for this was not to be, uh, you know, this, this, this big popular package or anything. At the end of the day, if, if, if Mike and I came away with a better understanding um, of, of how some of these things work, and uh, there was absolute value in that. Yeah, and and if there was something we could share back to the community, if it if it if it resonated with somebody else, then that then that's a win too, right? Okay, so so you got this mostly from working with web applications such as Vue, and so the idea is that what well, you you would change the data. Like I'm just trying to understand because 
But when I think about what I have in my mind is like you change the data on some model and then like everything's listening to it and it'll start updating. But that's not the way MVVM works, which is kind of, I believe you said, is kind of the backbone of what <laughs> you guys started off as, right? So maybe I need maybe I need a little bit more explanation about how this works. There's a, there's a reason we took MVVM off our documentation. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, that are that's why like I said we we took it off. Um, that was our kind of original uh, design plan uh, with Empire was was to follow more of the MVVM thing, and we realized that it's not it's it's not that. It's essentially, what we have is 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 a view model um, and a set of properties. Um, we call them Empire properties. Um, mm -hmm. Those are reactive. You initialize those empire properties with a starting value. You can mutate those values, and you can use those values inside um, inside your widget. Um, Justin could speak to the the technical underpinnings of it. I think it's using it. streams to actually send the updates. Um, and there's some some optimization stuff available so that you know you can set multiple properties at a time without updating the 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 UI multiple times. You maybe if you know you're setting ten things in a row, maybe you don't want to update it until the very end. Uh, but at at its simplest core, it's you know using this property in your widget and changing it in your view model. I guess one of the th one of the things that I've I've enjoyed using using Empire and I've started I actually been using it in a side project of mine for the last little while uh, to mostly just to kind of test it out <laughs> before we would release it. The thing I like I, I like that 90% of the time when I'm changing, you know, anything that has to do with state, like I want the UI to change. I, I, I just want it to happen. I don't want to have to, you know, say make a change and then, oh yeah, notify update or, or, or emit, you know, my new states. Like I, I don't want to have to do that. I want to, because 90% of the time, that's what I just want it to do. The other 10% is maybe like Mike said, I don't want to have to update the UI for whatever whatever reason. I want to change my my backing data here, but I don't necessarily want to update the UI on this property change. Or I want to change a whole bunch of stuff, and I want you to wait. And when that's all done, changing, yeah, okay, go into your rebuild. Um, you know, with Empire, it's just 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 change it. Assume you want it to update without having to think about it first, um, and then. The 10% of the time, tell me you don't want to do that. It just seems kind of weird to not update your state, but I guess there could be times where you want to group a bunch of changes at once and then trigger the update, That's right. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the only time is, is when you have a long running, say, asynchronous function that pulls a bunch of things down. Maybe you have a loading indicator going while you're doing that, and there's no value in updating it when the first thing comes back. You might as well just wait until they all come back. That's about the only time. Um, I think we use that in like one place in our app. So. All right. How how far is this thing? Like, is it already production ready to go? I mean, have you guys put it into an app and released it? It's it's in our in our company's app. Um, so it, it's in production. It's been in production with us for yep. what two months yep. or so now. We haven't called it 1.0 yet. Um, we haven't completely convinced ourselves that we're not going to change the API. Uh, some in some weird way. Uh, we're we're trying. We think we're pretty close to not doing that. But uh, thus far, I think, I don't know, we're on like the 12th revision of it. Um, so we're, we're approaching, rapidly approaching a 1.0 release, I would say. We do think it's stable enough that you could use it, but, you know, just be aware that it's it's a zero point release and, and the contract could change a little bit. Okay. 
makes sense. But also the kind of nice part is that you guys control the API. So you can change it whenever you, you want, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, once, once we go to 1.0, we will try to treat it like any other stable project, right? We're not going to change it uh, willy-nilly for, for no reason with, you know, without warning or discussion with the community. Um, as of right now, we don't have any real sense that anybody is using it heavily. Um, you know, it's it's a new release. We haven't gotten a lot of feedback from the community yet. So, um, you know, we're making refinements that we think make the language or the, the framework better while we have the opportunity to do that. Um, but once we feel like it's it's in the right place, we'll call it 1.0 and, and we'll make a commitment to keep it as stable and as few non-breaking changes as, as possible. Yeah. Sorry, as few breaking changes. I said that wrong. Yeah, the, the the main the main thing for us is is like mentioned is um you know we are looking for a for a bit of feedback here when, when you know how you found us Alan was was Mike's post on on Reddit there and um, as we all know Reddit is super polite and everyone's ultra kind and uh, <laughs> but no like seriously when we when we put it up there so we had some really candid feedback there um, and I you know I think to you know kind of pat ourselves on the back a little bit on this is. We took some of that, we took it to heart, you know, there were some, some things on there that we kind of took a step back. We're like, well, you know, that was, that was a little harsh, but they're right. And, um, you know, and we, and we acted on it. And so, but ultimately it's put us into a better spot. I think Empire right now is in the best place it's been since, you know, since we've done the initial release and, um, yeah, I mean, all the feedback that we can get, um, you know, positive or negative is, is good by us. I do think the, the the feedback on the whole from that Reddit post was quite good. Um, I thought everybody was quite friendly and, you know, there was some constructive criticism and a little bit of joking about uh, adding another state management framework to the list. Um, but it, it just, it is what it is. And um, I think the, the criticism that Justin's referring to was uh, the pattern that we initially chose, settled on to, to initialize those properties was kind of not very fluttery and uh, not very good. Uh, you know, so we, we went back on that one and that was, that was a breaking change we made between 0.8 and 0.9. Um, we, we revamped how that would work because we felt like there was a better approach. So now what we're doing is much like, um, was it equatable that uses the props pattern? So it's, it's much like that approach. You basically just pass in um, the properties. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think the, for some weird reason, the state management section has become, since you have that web background, uh, the Node.js slash JavaScript framework of the week kind of thing. <laughs> for sure. For, I think it's not blowing up as much as JavaScript does, but at the same time, it's, there's a, too many state management solutions. And it's kind of like, I think I, I compared this last, uh, with the uh, last podcast that we were just talking about. When you go to a restaurant and the menu is huge, you're just like, oh man, I don't know which one I want. You know, it's too many choices. So that's like the tricky part, right? Yeah, it's, I think that that tells me that it's not quite a solved problem yet. And and I'm not going to say that Empire has solved it. Maybe it's a step down the path, but it feels like the fact that people keep releasing state management means that not everything is resonating with every user. Um, either it's too hard or it's, or it's, you know, incomplete, um, or 
it, it could just be that because Google has left it to the community to decide what state management should be, that you know we're forever doomed to have a dozen popular state management things. Who knows? I just kind of want to play a devil's advocate, right? We've been wearing clothes for hundreds of years, but every year fashion keeps changing and there's a new style all the mm -hmm. time. Now, what does that mean, right? I mean, sometimes things just kind of fall out of favor or you've discovered something new. I mean, it'll never be solved. This is yeah. like how you think about the problem, right? Yeah, maybe so. Or you just wear blue shirts for the rest of your life like I do. That's the only thing to do. Like, it's it's amazing out here. Like, I, I've seen a whole group of guys. You know, they're all IT. They're all wearing, seriously, they're all wearing blue shirts and I think uh, khakis. And it was just like... <laughs> Obviously, uh, IT guys, it's very weird to see about eight or nine of them together. All of them really wearing the same style. Not the same color blue, but the same style. Got to reduce the daily decision fatigue. Yeah, now you know why Mark Zuckerberg just wears the same stuff every single day, right? Just don't think about it too much. Just choose one state management and never think about it ever yeah. again. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, great. is uh, We do have a question from the audience, which is always good to hear. Um, a guy named Paka is asking... Does Empire avoid the problem that Change Notifier does in that it allows direct mutability? Yeah. So if he's like, if I mean, I think those context on the question, like if he's asking if you can, we if you can define an Empire property, um, let's say uh, your backing value on an Empire property is an int and you want to directly, you know, change the value of that int, then sure. Yeah, that works fine. Um, I'd probably need to understand a little bit more of the, the context there, but the ability to change and update your values that um, your reactive values um, are really not a lot different than how you would change your regular int or add to a list or modify a date um, or any of those types of things. Uh, we've built in support for all the Dart types um, to be able to do that. So I hope that answers this question. Yeah, I'm wondering if his question is, I, I, I'm not familiar with the problem that he's referring to either, but it sounded, my interpretation is, is he saying that it's possible to change the value of something in a change notifier without having that change be notified? Is that is that the, the issue that you can mutate the value without uh, without triggering triggering a, a rebuild? Um, if that is the problem, I would say that Empire does solve that problem. It's not possible. You can opt in to making a change to a property without changing the state, but that's that's an optional parameter, and by default, you can't can't do that by accident. He's reiterating, saying that basically avoiding the problem that state can slip under our hands anywhere within the app can be quite dangerous. And then he says, "Correct." So I guess there's always a delay, right? So maybe you must have answered his question already. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I yeah I think we you can opt into that behavior, but it's not the default behavior, and there would be, to my knowledge, no way to accidentally change the value of an empire property without That's correct. triggering the state change unless you chose to do that on purpose so you can change the data without letting anybody know so it doesn't rebuild right we, you talked about this earlier yeah there's there's a there's a flag that you can pass when you change the value that that would say do not notify um, but it's you know false by default and and totally optional so you you should know what you're doing if you set that flag Oh, this is the problem of not calling notify listeners, right? After you make a change. This is what he's talking about, right? Is that you have to call that? Like if you wanted to make multiple changes? No, what I'm understanding is, uh, because I'm aware that there's like change notify value. Notify. I, I, I never actually really used them too much, so I don't remember the names, but I remember there's one that 
you'd have to call notify listeners after every time you update the state. Yes. And then there's another one where once you update the state, it notifies everybody. Obviously, I go for the latter because I'm just, I don't know, I may make a mistake or somebody else may make a mistake. So I guess he's talking about that particular problem, right? That's right. Yeah. I think I think we have avoided that problem. I think so. Yeah. I'll just add, you don't have to think about it. Like there is, you don't have to say, you know, notify that I've changed or, you know, like I believe that is change notifier that you have to explicitly say, uh, you know, notify of change. Empire will just do that for you. Yeah. It's called notify or hold on. Notify change? Change notifier, notifier listeners. Yeah, that's so it's it. Change notifier is the name of the class, notifier listeners. Yeah, I remember that. I, I always thought that was so stupid, but I, don't know. It, I guess it makes sense if you're changing a lot of stuff. I mean, or you want to be explicit, maybe... You, it, would, it would give you a performance advantage if you did need to make a bunch of changes at once, right? I suppose. You would have to be doing some pretty heavy ui changes and updates like it's the same with empire right like you have the ability to hold off on a ui update after changing a bunch of stuff but i i don't imagine that uh you know that particular feature of empire will be heavily or regularly used um because yeah you'd have to be doing some pretty heavy things to require that we tried to do some benchmarks of of empire last week um, in anticipation for this, just to make sure that, you know, if you ask us a question like, is it slower or faster that we had some kind of answer? And the answer is, um, it's a, it was, we couldn't figure out how to test it because the 60 frames per second rebuild of Flutter was too slow to actually make any, like, it didn't matter what we did. We got the same numbers out of every benchmark because it was all about how fast Flutter would rebuild. If I'm saying that right, Justin, I think that's what we decided, right? We we tried a bunch of different things. Yeah, we benched it against set state and made sure that we weren't worse, <laughs> and we're not. That was that was our metric. <laughs> yeah, and and the funny thing is, like our our whole idea of like set multiple versus set them one by one, and in theory, set multiple should be faster. Didn't make any difference at all, at least in that contrived example. Because again, I think we weren't doing enough work between Flutter rebuild cycles to make it be a, a difference anyway. We did not benchmark it against any other uh, frameworks. That's not a can of worms that we want to we want to open. Our goal is to be acceptable performance and call it a day. Honestly, you guys remind me of a previous episode. So I also do episodes for a podcast for Rust, and. I invited some guy on. Uh, he actually was the creator of Flask for Python. Oh, yeah. He's now working with Rust at Sentry. And you know what Sentry does, right? They do all that metrics and bug collecting, et cetera. And I asked, I forgot what question I asked him, but his reply like literally blew me away. It was, uh, he said something like, Python is so slow that no matter how much extra processing uh, we do for checking of whatever, it doesn't make a difference. I was like, Okay, that is both good and bad at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. So sorry, when you talk about benchmarking, I don't know why that came up in my mind. I was like, yeah, we talk about like as you know, it was just it's maybe slow, but it's still faster than what it needs to be, right? It doesn't, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't matter, right? Like at the end of the day, if you're fetching that new value from a an API server, that part's so much slower than updating the Flutter UI that it doesn't matter. At least in theory it doesn't. Yeah, which also goes back to another top, another point I made. Like, as long as it's fast enough that people don't complain and you're fine, you don't need to like be the most efficient, right? I'm sure there's lots of places in your 
code right now that you're like, oof, I really want to go back and rewrite this because this is not even ugly. This is just, I know this is just not performing. I know I could do it better, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. The worst code you wrote is the code that you wrote last week, right? Like, or last year. You go digging into the stuff you've done before. Who wrote this? Oh, I did. Perfection is the evil of good. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you are running code comments and, and documentation, right? Yeah. There's tons of tons of doc, doc strings and comments in, uh, in Empire, for sure. I used to work with a guy who was my manager who said, code. if you comment your code, it's a bad thing. That means your code is so bad that you <laughs> can't figure out what it's doing. <laughs> But this is the same guy who spent an entire morning figuring out why there's a bug and he had to go back and reread all the code that he wrote because he didn't understand what it's doing to figure out the bug. So I tend to fall in the camp. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, I tend to fall in the camp of um, explaining why code is written a certain way, you know, why why this is weird or in this particular order. Not so much, you know, the, the newbie thing was like, you know, create a person set the person's name, you know, those useless comments that, that don't really tell you anything that you can't glean from the code. But, uh, but there's certainly a place for comments, especially explaining complicated pieces of code that I have gone back and appreciated that I wrote something in the past. And public, public APIs, anything public, in my opinion, yes, needs to be well documented. Well, I, I actually, I always hear about that in, in C libraries where like there's code in certain places and it looks really weird. And then they, they have a comment above it that says, it, don't remove this line. Yeah. Because then bad things will happen, <laughs> and it's not clear what that line actually does. Like it's like a simple function call, and it's like, yeah, don't 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 remove this line. Have, have you seen that before? Yeah, like you might you might think that that you can optimize this code. Um, you know, in five hours you'll remember why. I, you know, you should have listened to this comment. <laughs> and then sometimes it's like, who wrote this? And you're like, oh, that was me. Yeah, this kind of goes back to the code I wrote last week, right? Like, who the hell wrote this crap? Uh -huh. Oh, okay. Get it's because it's harder to it's harder to read code than it is to write code, I think. And so when you interpret code, it's it's like doesn't make as much sense as when it's coming out of your brain at that time. Tell me about it. I have to review your PRs. <laughs> awesome. No, I'm having this, I'm having fun talking with you guys about all this good stuff. Um, Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, been a good time. Yeah, I mean this this is pretty cool. I mean, creator seems pretty interesting. I think someday I'll have to just go through and try all these state management things to see what the heck they're all about. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, it'll take me forever. I think. Well, like to think that this one wouldn't take that long to figure out and try. Um, you know, some of them some of them require a bit more of a learning investment. I think I'm sure that they're worth it in many cases. But uh, um, you know, I think the startup time on an Empire project is pretty straightforward. We've uh, also recently just published uh, an extension for VS Code to kind of help along with that. Um, just a snippets extension, just to kind of help help you spin up some new Empire views and some view models. So um, that's an option for people uh, if they want to try it out as well. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. I don't think I have any more questions. Is there anything from you guys' side that you want to let people know about? Obviously, besides try creator or sorry, not creator. I'm thinking about another episode <laughs> uh, to try out. Um, What's my mind going crazy? I think I'm still not having enough coffee this morning. Empire. Empire. To try Empire. Yes, Empire. <laughs> Sorry. Is it morning where you are, Alan? Yeah, it's 11 o'clock. Again, I had a late podcast last night with uh, MVVM as we were talking about before the show. So you're overseas somewhere, obviously. Yeah, I'm trying to keep up the habit of waking up at 5.30 in the morning. So sleeping at one, wake up at 5.30 for a couple of days in a row is not the best. <laughs> yeah, it's 10 o'clock at night here. So, um, oh, what, what just happened? I have home 
automation in the house so my kid wakes up my lamp turns on so but the wife's got it it's okay <laughs> as far as other 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 things we want to talk about i mean most of what's what we do what strive our business does is uh not something that's interesting to the audience for the most part you know it's an enterprise type type place um but we are trying to contribute back um there's also we've got two projects so far that are open source so we've got empire we've got a uh a Python logging framework, which is even more reinventing the wheel than uh, than Empire probably, but it was more of a Python is is one of our common backend languages, and this is just the default. You know, spin up a logger in the way that we like to to start logging stuff uh, implementations. So um, we're trying to give some of those things back uh, and share with the community. And, and, you know, we, we welcome feedback and contributions. If anybody wants to, you know, suggestions, issues, pull requests, happy to look at them. We actually did have a person uh, contribute something really early in empire. I forget what it was, something really, really small, but it's like a typo or something, but he, he, you know, he made a pull request and uh, we reviewed it and accepted it. So, so you guys wait. You, you said that you have something that you can create a, a logger for in Python. Yeah, I think it's just called Strive Logger is what I call the repository. It's on PyPI as well. Um, it's it's just a very simple abstraction layer uh, for logging, so you can have a common interface and you can implement a new like a, a different different logger implementations. Ninety nine percent of the time, I use it just as an abstraction for a fast API, which is the Backend framework that I prefer to work in when I'm working on APIs, uh, but uh, yeah, it's out there. I didn't. We didn't make a Reddit post on that one though because it was not very exciting. <laughs> you guys actually call it PyPI. I always call it Cheese Cheese Factory, right? Isn't that the actual name? Is Cheese Factory? <laughs> have you Have you heard that before or no? No, I haven't heard that one before. No, uh, because obviously Python. You know why it's called Python, right? Maybe not. It's kind of funny because I really hate Python. <laughs> For a lot of reasons, I think one one of the ones is I discovered that everybody has to have the same uh, white space. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So when you use Python, and that was a big problem for me uh, when I first started getting into Python. But um, no, Python's called Python because of Monty Python. Oh, I, I did know that. Yes. Yeah, and so there's a skit called the Cheese Factory, and apparently that's what I've always known, like the the ruby gems of Python to be called. Cheese Factory. I don't know. I, I never actually heard somebody ever call it Python oh, before. They're called Wheels, which now makes sense ah. to, because they're yeah, the, the WHL, right? Wheels of cheese. Wheels of cheese, I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess I never got the the wheel reference before. There's a, but yeah, the packaging like the equivalent to pub pub.dev um, for Python is is PyPI. Yeah, Python is is my go to language if I just need to write something quickly. If I needed something performant, then I'd reach for something else. But nine times out of ten. Um, nice clean code is more important than performance for the stuff we're working on. Yeah, definitely. And I know there's, yeah, Python, yeah, I just was never really into it. It was always kind of uh, annoying to me. There's a lot of magic sometimes. <laughs> you know, like with the, the de decorators, etc. Sorry? You would, you probably, have you heard of the uh, Python, uh, sorry, the Flutter framework, FLET? There is a, there's a project underway in the Python community to basically uh, create Flutter apps in Python. It's called FLET, F-L-E-T. Um, it's intriguing. I don't quite get it. <laughs> Judging by the look on your face, you don't get it either. 
Uh, I don't uh, personally, I think Dart is a very strong part of Flutter. I think the Dart language is really nice to work in. Um, so switching it out for Python doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it looks off. Yeah. I'm just wondering why would you want to do that? I mean, <laughs> I, I like Flask, right? I, in terms of Flask is a really nice framework. I have never, having yet played with a Flask API one, I've heard good things about it, but I haven't touched it yet. Yeah. Flask is very good. Yeah. Like you said, you can't write Flutter without Dart. It's just like, that's what it's all about. That's what makes it strong. It's Dart itself. I think, I mean, partly it's a familiarity thing for some people, right? They don't want to learn a new, a new, a new language. Um, I think that particular project, the long-term goals are to abstract multiple languages that to build into Flutter. So you could build it in Go or C Sharp, I think are on the roadmap for it as well. So it's, it's just a, keep you in the same language project, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. I would I mean I guess you could do it. I mean it's just bindings, right? But yeah. Didn't didn't Unity have some language that was just like Python and they chucked it, right? So I can only just see this happening again. I can't remember if it was Python or not. Unity's I haven't been in I think it was called Boo yeah. and it was based on Python, if I remember. Or or JavaScript. No, I don't remember which one. It's one of the two. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been into Unity in a while. Because the last time I was in it it was JavaScript, C sharp, or C sharp ish. Um and then obviously your C lang other C languages, but yeah, I haven't been in there in a while. I mean, the stuff that drives me nuts about Python is like the double underscore methods or the dunder methods. It's like for len, for all these other things where you can, it just drives me nuts. It's like, oh, these are, I look at the constructor, I'm like, this is beautiful. What This is so ugly. Like that double <laughs> underscore in it. Like, this drives me nuts. It's, it's, every language has its pros and cons. So the, the dunder methods are certainly not the nicest thing about Python, but um, things like list comprehension and that. Uh, dictionary comprehension are pretty slick yeah yeah i agree those are really cool like when they brought those that was brought into coffee script i thought that was really sweet i i give you that one but uh when sometimes when you import modules though code gets run and that freaks me out mm -hmm. yeah. yeah the whole project underway to try and avoid that um, i don't know if it'll ever come come to fruition or not but and the other thing too is uh for python also like they always say there's only one way to do it but i found sometimes there's multiple ways to do the same thing <laughs> I don't know like what happened, but I was like, what the heck is this? I, I know what it's doing, but that doesn't seem right because that's not how I would do it in Python. The Zen of, the Zen of Python says that there should be one one best way to do it. I don't know if that's always true or not. but So you must have actually read the Zen, right? Where you can do the, you go to Python and you can type this, import this, and you can see it come up. Yeah, a long time ago. I can't, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you what they are anymore, but I have, I have read the Zen of Python now. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I don't know. Uh... I hope Python sticks around for a while. It's still doing good things. So, but uh, there's just too much weirdness about Python that freaks me out. <laughs> uh, but again, I, I like Flask. Yeah, list comprehensions are really sweet. Same with dictionary. Um, and then, yeah, they they've been somewhat consistent, right? Other than that weird thing that happened between two and three. But I think it's they've been they learned they learned their lesson after that one. I think. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't think there'll ever be a, a revisit of that. Um, it's been progressively really improving since three six three seven. I think is when it really got really strong. Maybe even three five. Um, supposedly the one that's coming out in October November is supposed to be something like fifteen to twenty times faster for many different operations. There's been huge optimizations in. I think it's three eleven that's coming out. One last thing, isn't there like a walrus operator or something? I keep hearing about. Yeah, it's the. Colon with the equal sign. Can you tell me what the heck is the point of that? Because I looked at what it was. I had to Google it the last time I heard somebody talking about it. 
it came out in 310, I think. It's like a way that you can declare a variable, but it's... Well, that's Go, right? It's like it's the same syntax. No. It's the same syntax as... Is it the same as Go? Yeah, I think it's the same syntax as Go for initializing variables, I believe. I don't know what it does in Python. It's similar. It also initializes. Maybe assigns and checks. I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't had a, a need to use it at this point, so I haven't uh, haven't dabbled with it. Okay, I was hoping to finally get down to it because I read it and I was like, this is just like I wouldn't I wouldn't do it like that because it makes no sense. And then uh but yeah, I, I don't know, I heard good things about it. There's actually an article where this guy who goes nuts about it. I heard about it in changelog. But uh It looks like it lets you Let's you assign a value to a variable in the middle of another expression, which is kind of a weird thing to do, but I don't know why you would want to do that. But it's there. It's a new feature. Yeah. So that one time when you did want to use it and you knew about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on and talking about Empire. Uh, it seems quite quite interesting and I'm happy that you guys are moving forward and it's good that your boss is guys letting you guys go off in this direction, right? Because that's... It is a time sink, right, to work on something like this. I mean, I don't mean that in a negative way, but it does take a lot of time to to get the fruits of it. Yeah, I think fortunately we we're able to kind of show that it's it's been effective for our velocity and and it's been yep. a net gain for us to work on these uh, on this kind of stuff. We've been able to to build something that we can then reuse that provides value both to the company and you know if we get a little bit back from the community or we can provide some to the community, then that's that's great too. But you know, I think as pretty much with the case for almost every modern developer, we're all leaning on open source. There's open source is, is everywhere. And uh, if, if you have a chance to give back, why why not do that? It's not like you're going to make money off a state management solution. <laughs> That's right. Oh, no, you can you can find a way to do it, right? You can find a way to make money <laughs> from that. Self-support, right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, Red Hat made money from open source. They 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 sell support. I'm a developer, not a salesperson, so. <laughs> yeah, but that'd be the, I mean, that's the only way to go, right? I think that's the big one If is the, one of the questions you got to take for uh, for enterprises to that, is there support for it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they can feel better. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank thank you, Alan. I, I I appreciate the invite and and reaching out to us. It was uh, you know, pleasure to meet you. Um and have a chance to talk to your audience, um, you know, about you know what we're building and and stuff that we've, you know, are fairly passionate about. And uh yeah, it's been great. Yeah, if anybody's interested in in checking it out or reaching out to us, um I don't know if, if Alan got our Twitter or or GitHub on on the invite there. Um Maybe we could share those, but our get the GitHub for uh, for Empire is a great way to get a hold of us too. Um, we have the discussions tab turned on, so you can reach out to, to us that way or open an issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I'll have to be sure to try to leave uh, leave it into the notes. All right, thank you again for for coming on, and uh, hopefully, maybe you guys will be part of what the big five or whatever they call that <laughs> top uh, management state management solutions. That's the dream. We're trying to get trying to get past fifty percent popularity on Pub. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. All right. Thanks very much, Alan.